I want us to uh, look at this text beginning in Acts chapter 17. And, and there's one phrase here that I, I want us to focus on, and that's an accusation that's made in, I believe, verse 5 or 7. It's here, it says that these men, verse 6, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. This idea that, uh, that they had turned the world upside down, that's what they're being accused of, that these missionaries, now on the second missionary journey, as they come into Thessalonica, they have turned the world upside down. That's what they are accused of. And, and as we begin, I want to ask you, have you ever had a situation or a time that's turned your world upside down? I think we all have. Uh, I remember um, I, was, I was a substitute teacher at, uh, at, the, at the high school. Actually, I think I was a permanent shop, permanent substitute shop teacher. And, um, and Krista and one of our friends went to her doctor's visit when she was pregnant. And, uh, and her friend called me and said, Bob, it's twins. And I thought it was an absolute joke. They like called me out of class, like to the office, and she's like, Bob, it's twins. I was like, no, it's not. Stop pulling my leg. And she's like, no, it really is. And then Krista gets on the phone, and she goes, it is. And, uh, and that, that, that was unexpected. <laughs> I, I remember, many of you know, we had a, we had a, a bad car wreck in 2010 and, and flipped the vehicle, and, uh, and, it, and it changed my world in a lot of ways. One way is since... I think it was August 14th, 2010, I felt like I have a nail sticking right here in my sternum at every moment, every day. Sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's not, but it, it, it has completely uh, changed my life and affected how I feel. Um, of course, in 2014, many of you know we had a house fire, and that very quickly, abruptly changed our lives. Um, in 2012, 13... Krista was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and uh, what year was it? 10, 12, 14, okay? And so we, we went through all of that, and the, the Lord brought us through, but that was one of those times. I remember in, in class one time, this beautiful girl comes up to me and asks me about life's ultimate questions, the book, and uh, I told you that story. Krista and I spent the day together, and, and, and something just clicked in me, and I thought, wow, I... I really like her. Like I, I really like her. Just in a in an instant, you know. But the biggest thing that's ever turned my world upside down was when I received Christ. When, when, when at fourteen, I knew when the gospel was preached to me, the Holy Spirit convicted me. My heart, in a moment, was changed. The thing that I thought I would have no desire for. I mean, let's just be honest. I went to a Bible study because there was a girl there that I really liked. I, I, I kept pestering her around school saying, hey, would you go out with me somewhere? Would you go out with me somewhere? And she was like, no, nah, I don't think so. She went home and she told her mom. She said, mom, there's this guy at school. I don't like him. He won't leave me alone. He keeps pestering me. He wants to do something. What should I do? Her mom told her, why don't you invite him to the Bible study? Now, I didn't know all this. I thought, yeah, I'll go to a Bible study with you. Like, let's just, we'll do that. We'll start there, right? And, uh, and, and it was there that I heard the gospel in God's providence. And I remember, I, I remember that moment like it happened yesterday. That I knew I must receive Christ as my Savior. I must desire to follow Jesus. The text that was preached was Luke eleven twenty eight. Uh, happy, the translation said, happy are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And I realized at that moment, I needed to follow Jesus. And praise God, ever since that day, I have. And his word has proved true over and over and over again. But a radical change happened in my life. It turned my world upside down. My friends, there's still people to this day that cannot believe that Bob Wilson is a preacher. Um, they, they just can't believe it because Christ radically, dramatically changed my life. He changed my world upside down. But the gospel is not just to change our world. The gospel has a purpose that it would change the entire world. That individuals, as they receive the gospel, as, as they're transformed by Jesus, that there would be an impact that would be felt everywhere. 
And that's what we read about when we read in Acts. We read from these very uh, early believers commissioned by Jesus to go and to share the gospel to all nations, sent out by churches to do that as they go into these places that had never heard about Jesus and they proclaim the good news, they, they, they proclaim what it's like to live for Jesus. God changes hearts, he opens the heart. We saw that with Lydia last week and people are radically changed and the impact of Christianity upon their life is felt not only within their home, not only within their community, but they say they're, cha- they're turning the world upside down. What a wonderful statement. Could you imagine if Christians today turn the world upside down? Let's look at this text. If you follow along, I'll read it. We're going to read about, uh, we're going to read about this missionary group as they go to Thessalonica, and then they're uh, sent out of Thessalonica to Berea, and then they're sent from Berea then to, uh, Paul goes to Athens and waits for them to join. Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul went in, and as is his custom, on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to come, for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great number of devout Greeks and a few of the leading women. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason, they basically like a bond, and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as the men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up crowds. And the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible as they departed. Now this morning I want to make a few observations. Much of this follows a pattern that we've seen in Acts as far as the missionary pattern of Paul arriving, going into a synagogue, proclaiming the gospel, individuals coming to faith, opposition arriving, arising, dealing with opposition, having to leave, going to the next place. That's a pattern that we've seen over and over and over again. And as we go through Acts, I don't want to keep repeating that pattern only, but make some more deeper observations that I think the text reveals to us. And so with that in the background, that that's historically what happened, I want to make a few points of application this morning as we think about this and we we hone in on these accusations that were being made. That that this missionary group, there was two accusations. One, they're turning the world upside down which really wasn't true. The ones that were causing a a ruckus were the Jews. Did you catch that? I I love how Luke writes this. He says that the Jews went and found men of rabble, is what the ESV 
does it as? They basically went and they found the scoundrels. I think another version says scoundrels. They went and found the people that they knew would cause the most trouble for no reason, just to cause trouble. And they agitated them and excited them and told them to get going so that it would make it look a lot bigger than what it was. So they were the ones that were actually turning the world upside down as far as that community is. And then the second accusation that they make is that they are proclaiming that there is no king, that Caesar is not king, but Jesus is. There's a sense in which both of these accusations are false, but there's also an accusation, there's also a sense in which they're true. The gospel will turn your world around. And there is no other king but King Jesus. So let me make a few points of observation as we think about this text. As we think about it, it, it highlighting that about turning the world upside down. How we can turn the world upside down for Jesus. Here's the, the first thing that I want us to consider is this. This world needs to be turned upside down. This world needs to be turned upside down. The reality of it is, is that ever since the, the fall, ever since the garden, when sin came into man, we have been born into sin and we act out upon that sin. We are sinners, one, by inheritance, by inheriting Adam's guilt, the Bible teaches us. But two with the, the guilt and the propensity to sin that we inherit from Adam, it doesn't take very long before we act upon it ourselves and we act out sin. In fact, it doesn't take very long in reading from the Genesis account. If you get to, to Genesis 3 and you see the fall of man, by the time you get to Genesis 11, the world is ruled by sin. God looks around and he sees nothing but violence and sin. And so it's at that point that God sees Noah. And God basically hits the reset button on humanity in a way by causing a great flood. It's a judgment upon sin. That's how quick it took. Just read through those opening verses of, of Genesis and see. In our world today, sin can be seen the same way. We see the, the outworking of it throughout all of our world, uh, our, our culture and our day has brazenly, at every point that they can, cast off God. They've cast off God as creator, because if God is not creator, then there's no sense in which we must be accountable to him. So instead of the obvious that God is created, that man is a created being, that the complexity that we see within our world and we observe within creation, the order in which we see in nature the very things that God has put in to reveal himself. Read Romans chapter 1. Those very things, we have figured out ways, culturally, theories, to explain. We basically say, if you give it enough time, you will have the answer. Any question to, to the theories of the world about creation, they just basically say, no, add, add a few more billion years, and then that must solve it. As though all an eyeball needs to form is just more time. Think about the complexity of the eye. We still don't know how to fully explain how the eyeball works. The mind of man, we don't know how to explain how our mind works. We can poke on it and say, if we poke here, it does this. But what's a memory? The very fact that you might wake up at three in the morning and remember something of this sermon. Right? Like, we can't fully explain that. If you do, I'm sorry, but you were paying attention, so that's fantastic. It all points to God as creator, and yet in our culture, you, it's getting to the point you can't even say that. I mean, think about this. Think about the, the culture that we live in today and how much it needs to be turned around for Jesus. Think about the influence of the arts, which is a major cultural driver. In the influence of, of the arts in our culture, it is ruled right now by homosexual agenda. It is absolutely ruled by it. 
That which is of disorder, that which is of not of God. And, and it gets further and further and further. Do you realize the, the, the speed at which our culture is going headlong against its creator in these areas, normalizing what is sin? You can't even watch television anymore. I mean, what used to be decent during family hour, you can't even have a television on. The, the things that, that if you were to seek out late night on special paid channels, those kinds of things have become more and more common. Our, our culture is, is driven by pornography in so many ways. Listen, if you can't sell me a product without the shape of a woman's body advertising it, I probably don't need your product. And yet, that's become the norm for so much. Sensuality and sexuality, the norm in our culture, things that are against God's order, against God's rule. That's the norm. You're weird if you speak out about that. If, if you simply say that you think that cohabitation of a couple before marriage is wrong, you now are out of step. Just months ago, I mean, it, there's, there, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rule that was taught to me by Dr. Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, which has always stuck with me. I took a class on worldviews and culture. This is an excellent course. And, and I remember him looking at all of us and saying, boys, listen, don't ever be shocked by sin. Just don't ever be shocked by sin. Know that, that sinners sin, and, and that's what they're going to do. But don't be shocked to the point that you, you're, you're kind of flustered and have to think and then, and then say something about it. But every once in a while... The, the world is so messed up, and what is normative and what is thought is no issue just shocks me. I, in fact, I thought it couldn't be true when I saw a few weeks ago that at the Grammys, like a major cultural televised event, that there was a performance that, that displayed Satan worship. I read that and I thought, oh, that's got to be, that's got to be exaggerated. It wasn't. It wasn't. Think about academia. Think about the, the, the centers of intelligence so far by our culture. What is pushed and brought to us and normalized in academia. And now in academia, if you were to, if you were to stand in, the, in areas of science and areas of medicine, and you were to say that I believe that God is the creator, you would be laughed at. Students in those fields, most of the time, they have to lie on their papers that they write. They have to write them according to what is being thought of. They have to write them according to evolution, whether or not they believe it. Because if they, if they don't write it according to evolution, they can't get the answers right. Because it's no longer an option. It's no longer a theory. Now it is the standard. To say in academia... That God is so the sovereign creator of all things. That he created out of nothing. Just to read Genesis 1. There's no place for that in so many fields. In academia, academia is the source of the poison of what our culture has been dealing with over the last few years on issues of race. What has stoked these issues on uh, intersectionality and, and these, these issues of, of uh, these social justice theories and these different things, they've come out of academia that has been steaming on this for years and years and years. And it got popular in the last few years, and it's no longer nuanced, and now you've got politicians and TV stations and everyone else trying to look smart and act smart because that's what academia has made up. Kind of like, remember that, that children's story? The emperor's new clothes, right? The emperor's naked, but nobody dares say it. Our culture needs to be turned upside down. It needs to be turned upside down. What is plain and can be known 
we no longer want to admit or say. I mean, we're having real conversations now in academia that men can have babies. Right? I go to my doctor, and there's like 10 options for gender at my doctor. My plumber knows better when he puts the pipes together. (laughs) This world needs upside down. Think about our political leaders. Think about politics. Our president is the most pro-abortion president that there's ever been. He has basically vowed to work however he can to reinstate the killing of babies. Our politicians are so polarized that they act like children and they're unable to to pass the most simple, no-nonsense, basic things of society. Because they're more concerned about video time and shaming and name-calling each other that they might get some plays on TikTok than actually doing what they're supposed to do. Our world needs turned upside down, doesn't it? Can you see our world needs turned upside down? That's the first point that I want to make. I mean, Paul goes into Thessalonica and he begins preaching about Jesus to people that don't know about Jesus and they say he's trying to turn our world upside down. Friends, our world today, even in America, the so-called Christian nation needs to be turned upside down for Jesus. Second, how does Christ turn the world upside down? He uses he uses his people. Hey, this is just a, a, a basic truth. God, there are so many, so many more efficient, better ways that God could turn the world upside down. And yet, he has designed within the new covenant, within the mandate and the commission of the church, that he uses his people to testify to his word, to serve this world that he might be about redeeming people out of it. He uses us. Now here's a a sad reality. The sad reality is, I think, at least within our circle of Christianity, there are two versions of Christianity that exist. The first version are for people like Paul. For people you might say, like me, for missionaries, for those that are just gung-ho go-getters and man, they accept Jesus and they're just on fire, right? They're ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. And they're kind of the oddballs way out there. And so that's one version of Christianity. Yeah, you can be all in, you can, get, you can go after it, but there's also this comfortable Christianity. Like, you know, you can be a Christian, and you can love Jesus, but do you, do you really need to give much? Do you, do, do you really need to serve him? Do you really need to tell others about him? I mean, isn't it enough just, your, your, your faith is private. Shouldn't it be a, a private matter and a private thing? And we have this idea of a comfortable Christianity. I'll volunteer a little bit. I'll I'll do a few things. But I'm not going to turn the world upside down. And I'm afraid that the vast majority of Christians either. But when you read the Bible, when you listen to the the words of Jesus, take up your cross daily, deny yourself, follow me. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. When you look at the example of Christians in the, in the New Testament, willing to, to go wherever the Lord would lead, willing to give whatever the Lord would require, the idea that we so often have of Christianity just doesn't line up with it, does it? We're all to be disciples. We're all to follow Christ. We're all to be fully committed to Him. We're all commanded 
Not just missionaries, not just pastors, not just the apostles. We're all commanded to give all to Christ. There's a quote by John Wesley that's a good one about this. He said, give me 50 men who love nothing but God and fear nothing but sin, and I will change the world. Friends, we need to change the world. How does it happen? God uses his people. He uses you, and he uses me. He uses us. Third, what does God use to change the world, right? So you're like, Pastor, all right. We know we need to do it. We know we're going to do it. How do we do it? Do we need to form an army? We're Baptists. We'd say, do we need to form a committee? Right? What, what do we do? Let's, let's, let's go buy tanks and guns. No. That's not how he's going to do it. Let, let's, go, let's go change laws. No, that's not. That's not really it either. I mean, there's some laws that need to be changed, but that's not, that's not primarily how we're going to upset the world for Christ. Let's go feed everybody. Well, that would be wonderful. But that, that alone ain't going to do it. How does God change the world? We turn the world upside down. The gospel is what turns the world upside down. We teach and we preach. We what? <laughs> right? How do we make a revolution? We share what the Bible says. That's it? Well, remember last week? We do our part. God does his part. And this is what God has said. This is how God works. Paul the missionary that we're observing here says in Romans 1:16, a very famous passage that, that you probably know. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news, the proclamation of Christ, the message of Jesus that redeems. God, man, Christ responds. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, right? You'll hear, you'll hear kind of the, it's a bad way to preach it. The word means dynamite. Well, Paul didn't understand dynamite. But anyways, it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. Which, how do people get the gospel? You proclaim it. You share it. You don't put it on a bat and name the bat gospel and go around swinging it. The gospel is the power. It is the instrument that God uses to bring about salvation, to change people's lives. So we need to be a people that are all about the gospel. We're all about Jesus. We're all about trying to lovingly share and communicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ to change the world. That's how Paul, that, what, what's Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke going around doing? How, how are they upsetting the world? They're going into the synagogues and they're reasoning with the Jews they're going by the river, and they're reasoning with ladies that come down to pray. Everywhere they go, they're going and they're teaching. They didn't swing swords. They didn't swing clubs. But they boldly proclaimed the Lord wherever he would allow them to go. And by that, they were changing the world. And by that, we changed the world. Uh, look with me here it, at the beginning. It says, Paul... Uh, verse 2, Paul went in as was his custom. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul goes into Thessalonica. They have a, they have a, a synagogue. He goes in for three weeks, reasoning with them from the scripture. As was the custom, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. This is how he changed the world. He reasoned and explained the message of the Bible. He reasoned and explained the message of the Bible. There's a few things that I, I, I want to think from this passage right here and apply. The first is this. 
We must proclaim the gospel in an understandable way. In an understandable way. Notice what he says here. It says that he went and he reasoned with them. He explained to them. He shared with them. He talked to them. He conversed with them. He built a relationship with them. He taught them. He reasoned with them about the gospel message. The gospel requires communication. So often we don't want to do that. I mean, at the very heart of it, sometimes Christians don't impact the world because we really don't want to build relationships with anyone in the world. We want to live in our own little bubble. We want to have our own little community. We want to exclude anyone that's a little different, smells different, acts different, because we've got it all figured out and we like who we are. And, and, and we don't necessarily say it out loud, but we really mean we don't want you here. And that's not what they were doing. They went to people that didn't know the gospel for the intention of reasoning and sharing with them the gospel. Why are so many people lost in our world? Why is the world so upside down as it is? Well, in large part, it's because the church isn't doing what the church should do. They went and they reasoned with them. Second, we have to proclaim the whole gospel. We have to proclaim the actual gospel. The actual message that brings about redemption, that is the power of God. There's a lot of substitutes and a lot of false gospels that exist. The, the, here it's summarized. We don't have Paul's actual message. We saw that a few chapters back. We had a, a message on Sunday where we said the message of missionaries. And we broke down Paul's preaching of the gospel. But a lot of times what we have from Paul in the books of Acts is a summary of basically what his argument was. And the summary of his argument here to these Jews in this synagogue was this. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And I would put forward that the, the, the template that I'm trying to instill in your mind through, the, the, through, through repetition, that when we think of the gospel, we think of, of four uh, foundations, of four ways, of a summary of the gospel, that is God, man, Christ, response. That, I think, is embedded in this. God is assumed because you have to know the importance of Jesus being the Christ right? He, he's reasoning with them, so if he's talking about the Christ, then he, he's been talking about God and the promises that God made that there would be a Christ. Of course, he's talking to Jews. They already had a foundation of who God was. We have to start with God. Who is God as creator? Who is God as, as the one who made man as holy and as sovereign, as righteous and powerful? In this, he talks about man. Man is assumed again because there is a need for the Christ. Why did God promise a Christ? Because man needed redemption. Even within the, the Jewish formulation of what the Christ was going to be at that time, he was going to be a redeemer because, because the Jews had sinned against God. Because the other nations had been able to come and, and take over and conquer the land. And so God's chosen one, the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come to restore. Man is sinful. See, here's a, a big issue that we have so often with the preaching of the gospel. We'll talk about God. We'll talk about Jesus. Oh, so often what we refuse to say is, there is something wrong with you. You have sinned. You have broken God's law. You stand in judgment against God because of things that you have done. And if man doesn't understand that he's a sinner, if man doesn't understand that he needs saved, why would he come to salvation? If we go about and say, you know what, you're, you're pretty good. You do a lot of good stuff. You give to philanthropy. You, you, you serve when, when the homeless shelter needs people to come and, and pack lunches. You're an all right guy. I've seen you with your kids. You're a pretty good husband. You love your kids. You want to know what to just put the cherry on the top? If you love Jesus and came to church a few times, there's something radically missing there, isn't it? 
That man doesn't realize that he needs to be saved. That man doesn't realize that he's going to hell. That man doesn't realize that he needs Jesus who came and lived and died and suffered in his place for his sins that he might be forgiven. That's what the gospel says. And that's why the gospel causes division. If the gospel was just the message, y'all are pretty good. I know how to get you a little bit better. Just add this to your life and you're there. Man, nobody would have a problem with that. Nobody would have a problem with that. But where they have the problem is we say, the way you're living, what you're living for, is wrong. You've rejected God. The sin in your life is wrong and must be changed. You must repent and believe. Oh, that's where the offense is, isn't it? That's, that's what we're afraid of. That's what holds us back from going out to others is because we don't want to be rejected because we know that if we share the gospel, we must come to a point with that individual to say what you've believed and how you've lived and the way you've established your life and the choices that you've made. You are in great danger. We're afraid to say it. God, man, Christ, of course, Christ is exalted in this as he, he says the Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. He, he explains that Jesus, the individual that they would have known and, and they most likely would have known and understood what happened to Jesus, the story of Jesus. He highlights Jesus. Of course, we have to highlight Jesus, who he is and what he's done on our behalf, that he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. God, man, Christ. And then even embedded with this is response. Because he's proclaiming to them that Jesus is the Christ. And that demands a response from a Jewish mind. That you would recognize and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we're called to go and to tell the gospel. To tell the bad news. The bad news is this, there is a God and you have sinned against him and you're under his judgment. And we're also to tell the good news, but he sent Jesus Christ. But we also have to call them to response, that if you would repent of your sins and believe in him, you would be saved. That's the gospel. And when we do our part, God does his part. And God calls men and women. He opens the heart. We looked at that last week in the story of Lydia. He, he does a tremendous thing. Those of you who know Christ and have felt that and seen that, as I've said, that you had your world turned upside down, that you went in a moment from not caring about the things of God to having a great desire for God, you see that transformation, you, you see that at work in you, and that's what God does. And he turns your world, and through turning the worlds of individuals, he will turn the entire world upside down and we see this throughout church history we see the impact of the gospel making a huge impact on cultures we, we, we see it turning some of the most godless places into regions of worship and testimony we, we see this from, from places that, 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 that are godless and worship idols Becoming great centers of missionary activity, sending the gospel out to other places. It's amazing to me that we have a tremendous amount of missionaries in America now from other countries that generations ago we sent the missionaries there. But they've received the gospel. Many of those places have been transformed. And they look at America and they go, these people have lost the gospel. They're not living according to it. And so we have missionaries being sent here. And rightly so. Third point from this idea that, that God turns the world upside down through the gospel is here. The gospel, as much as as much as we do need to share the outline we need to have in our mind as we talk with individuals about the gospel, God, man, Christ, response. Don't forget to use the scriptures. Don't forget the power of the word of God to point to people to the scriptures. 
to show them what the Bible says. Notice it says here, Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures. It wasn't just his opinion. He didn't say, I've got this new teaching. You know, I've been really thinking about this, and I've got this all figured out, and I want to share with you this new philosophy that I've arrived at. No, he went through the scriptures and he showed how Jesus fulfills everything that was said about the Christ. How, how, how the Old Testament prophets pointing towards the Christ. How the new covenant had come in the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. And he reasons with them about this. You know, even if it's as simple as memorizing the Romans road or just having a, a track that you can walk through and, and, and read the scripture for an individual or have them read that as you engage with their questions. You know, think about this, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. Romans 6.3, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of, of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Beautiful passage to talk with somebody about. Uh, it says this. It says, uh, it, this is the message about faith that we preach. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to use the scriptures. Use the scriptures. Now here's another truth. God turns the world upside down through the gospel. That's our commission. That's, what we're, that, that's how we do it. But we have to also realize that, that not all, some will receive it, but not all will. And we see that here in this text. Look at verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So a lot of individuals in that town became followers of Jesus, believed the gospel. But the gospel also divides. And it's not a bad thing if the gospel divides. And quite honestly, we have to remember that if people are divided about the right thing, if we've offended them with the right thing, it's not the fault of the preacher if the gospel divides. Look at verse 5. The Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of rabble, they formed a mob, setting the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, and they've also come here. Jason has received them, and they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Friends, remember, the gospel in itself, when it is rightly proclaimed, there is a sense in which it will divide. This goes along with the awkward phrase sometimes that we think about that Jesus says that he came not to bring peace but the sword. Isn't that a strange phrase? He says he'll turn brother against brother. And what's meant in that is the work and what Jesus did, the gospel message there will be those that will receive it and will embrace it and it will turn their world upside down and there will be those that will resist it. But because of a hardness of heart, they will become bitter. Because of evil and wickedness, they will become violent. But we're not told to give up because some won't believe. We're not told to give up because some might not like us. We're told to go and to proclaim, to take the model of, of Jesus and take the model of Paul and go in and, and proclaim. And if they receive us, tremendous. And if they don't, sometimes we shake the dust from our sandals. Sometimes we have to look for other fields, if it were, for the harvest. But that's what our job is. That's what we've been commanded to do. To be disciples that seek to make disciples. The gospel draws a line in the sand if it's preached correctly. Now listen to me. I, I think I've shared this with you before. This is a principle that was shared with me at one time. I don't, I don't remember 
who it was, but it's one that's always stuck, and I think it's really good. Remove every offense that the gospel itself might be an offense. Remove every offense that the gospel itself might be an offense. The gospel, if it's proclaimed, has to be an offense, doesn't it? You are not good enough. You need Jesus. You have sinned, and you must trust in Jesus. That's an offense. And that's the thing that we want to be the offense, not other things, not proliferary things, not other issues that distract and take away. And, and the problem is that the world will want to distract and take away. I mean, think about Jesus with the woman at the well. He begins to talk with her, and she's like, hey, what mountain should we worship on, though? Right? She, 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 she moves the subject. She, she keeps deflecting because she doesn't want to get to the actual issue. And so it is, as you reason with others, often they'll deflect and they'll get you on a goose chase about something else that doesn't matter. Keep pointing back to Christ. Draw the line in the stand. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are, are you willing to repent of your sin and trust in Him? The results of sins, the other things, they'll work themselves out if God creates that person to be a new creation, won't they? That's the process of sanctification. You don't get sanctified and then saved. You get saved and then God works sanctification, right? How do we change the world? Through the gospel. Fourth, let's make this personal. Receiving the gospel will turn your world upside down. Receiving the gospel will turn your world upside down. Look with me at verse 10. The brothers, they go to, they go to Berea. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night into Berea, and they arrived, and they went into the synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble, nor, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The Bereans, we, we know of them as those who received and examined. There's two principles I want to just give to you quickly here. First is if the gospel is going to change us, we must receive it. We must receive it thoughtfully. It's not emotions that the that came to the Bereans. Paul didn't put on a big show and win them over with manipulative, tear-jerking sermons. He didn't have them all come forward or, or all do something. He didn't capture the emotional draw. No, the preaching of the gospel reasons with the mind. Emotions follow. It is a, an incredibly emotional thing when God opens our heart to the gospel and, and we come and we receive that. But it can't just be emotions. They reason with them. They seek the scripture. They, they seek to understand. The second is this, receive the message perpetually. Day by day, they examined the scripture. Day by day, they sought to see that these things were true. Day by day, they renewed their commitment and deepened their faith in the Lord. That's what it means to re receive, to truly receive Christ. There are a number of individuals who make, feel guilty about sin. They might make some kind of move towards the cross, but it quickly falls away. Here we see what genuine salvation looks like day by day moment by moment, trial by trial, abiding with Christ, seeking to know Him and to do His will. So this is the beginning of this great second missionary journey. We, we've seen them now as they've uh, gone to Philippi, now Thessalonica, now Berea. Paul gets, uh, ran out of Berea. Those Thessalonians, the, that group of rabble raisers comes then to Berea. They travel some 60 miles to stir that place up against Paul. And so they decide to send Paul far away. And he goes and he ends up in Athens and he stays there and he sends back and he says, he says send the rest here to Athens. I'll wait for him here. We'll all meet up. And then next week we get to find out about this incredible opportunity that opens in Athens. But, but here's this. As we think about this, I, 
I, I want you to see our world is lost. Our, our world is so lost. Believer, can you not mourn for your neighbors? Can you not mourn for your family members? Can you not mourn for our culture? We need Jesus. We, we need this world turned upside down. How do we do that? There's only one way. The way that God has designed. You and I must begin to get serious about our faith. We must begin to, to pray for our neighbors, pray for our family, pray for our culture, and look for opportunities that we can engage in gospel conversations and we can share with others the hope that we have, the gospel message, God, man, Christ, response and see them changed and see them change others and change others and change others and we'll see the world changed as we close today i want to challenge you and first have you believed in this message has god changed you has your world been turned upside down by the gospel perhaps today You've heard the gospel and you know that you need to commit to Christ. You know that you need to receive Christ today. You are ready to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ. I, I want to encourage you to do that. If you'd like to come and, and pray with me, I'd love to receive you and, and talk with you or pray with you. Perhaps it, listening to this, there's one person that's come onto your mind that you know that you need to share the gospel with that individual. As we close, would you pray? Lord, would you help me to be able to do that? Perhaps you were mindless and nobody came to your mind. Would you pray and ask the Lord to place someone in your path or on your mind that you begin to pray for every day and look for an opportunity that you might share Christ with them? I, I can't tell you how important that is. Sometimes God will use you. Sometimes God will use someone else. You remember a few years ago when we had the Who's Your One prayer campaign and we were praying about one person every day that we might share the gospel with? There's some incredible testimonies in this room about that. Let me give you a testimony from me. God answered my prayers, but he didn't use me to do it. My one that I was praying for, I tried to share the gospel with him. He wasn't interested. I never, have an never had an opportunity where he was really interested in receiving and reasoning and thinking about the scriptures. But some events happened and other people in his life did. And I saw him just the other day. And he was telling me about how much his world has changed since he's come to faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It, it didn't happen like I wanted, but, but I have no doubt that my prayer and my praying helped and influenced in that. Do we want to see the world turned upside down? We need to. We know what to do. May we seek to pray and influence others through Christ.